Two-factor authentication. What are some of the myths and realities? Hi, this is Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm discussing two-factor authentication today with Alex Dahl. He's the CEO of OneID. Alex, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Tom. So two-factor, why is it such a timely topic now? Well, look, I think the easiest thing is there's a billion smartphones out there in the world, and everybody has figured out that the mobile phone has a role to play in the future of authentication. More recently, some big names, some thought leaders in the space that are portend early adoption, people like Apple and Google, have enabled two-factor authentication for some of their users. And I think the other reason it's so timely is it seems to be a popular response for those who have been breached. Just even in the last couple of weeks and months, both Evernote and Dropbox are some examples of, you know, very popular and great websites that were unfortunately victims of username password breach. And kind of the, the remedy that they selected to put out for those security breaches was a two-factor off response. Well, Alex, you mentioned mobility. You talked about a couple of recent breaches. Tell us, how do you see the threat landscape evolving? Yeah, the threat landscape of the last decade, a lot of consumer authentication revolves around malware on our endpoints, and we're seeing a lot of how malware is evolving the mobile. And, of course, phishing was kind of and still is, unfortunately, a very rampant and successful endeavor. I think what's happened in the last couple of years is instead of going after consumers on a one-to-one basis, the criminals have figured out they can steal by the 10 million and 100 million fold, and they're quite successful being able to lift, you know, large amounts of usernames and passwords. I think what that points to is the shared secret, the notion of a username and password, something that's shared between me as a user and the website I'm logging into, is a broken system. You know, I think a lot of what's happened recently is people have figured out that they can use two-factor off as a solution to that. And some of the early approaches are effective against the last decade set of problems. More recently, on a very sophisticated front, we're seeing attacks like Eurograbber in the European banking system that is effectively a man-in-the-browser attack, and it is designed and written to intercept the SMS push or the two-factor off push. Another example I like to point out of where two-factor auth isn't really working, in the Australian Telecom Union, there's already been evidence of people hacking into the SMS channel successfully and man-in-the-middling SMS messages, and they've advised the banks in Australia to cease the use of SMS as an authentication mechanism. And then finally, good old pretexting or good old social engineering is alive and well, even in the two-factor auth world in India. There's been cited cases where people are walking into telecom stores and presenting fake IDs and getting a new SIM card to a phone, using it to approve a bank wire transfer for a username and password that they stole. So, uh, as much as we've done to solve last decade's problems, the current there's a whole slew of new initiatives that are already designed to compromise two-factor off. Well, I'm glad you gave us that overview of the landscape, and particularly you touched upon some of the exploits. Given what you've told us, how does two-factor have to evolve to adapt to this changing landscape? I think the first thing is we have to do better for users. We have to put in front of users the information that's specific to a transaction that we're asking them to approve. So, example, 
wire transfer. Our customers are doing things like saying wire transfer originating from credit union A to this account, please approve for this amount. That's the level of granularity that should be being put in front of users and asking for approval on the second factor. The technology is there to do that today. I think the second thing we need to do is I mentioned this notion of a one-time password. We have the capability today to cryptographically sign the transaction that the user is seeing at the endpoint. Um, and this is very valuable. It allows a, a liability reduction or a kind of a detailed amount of, technically speaking, non-repudiation out to a device-specific key on that transaction. And that has great, great benefits for both the user seeing what they're doing, but also for the bank and everyone in the system knows exactly what was approved and, and exactly what device it's coming from. And I think the third thing is we can't design two-factor off that is unique to a communications channel. A lot of our customers are coming to us because SMS, number one, isn't always reliable, and as we saw in the Australian example, it's already been compromised. But I think the phone has built in it many communications ways, 3G, 4G, Wi-Fi, and SMS, and I think the solutions that are going to work will take advantage of all communications channels that are out there on the phone. We teed up this conversation with the topic of myths and realities. Alex, what would you say are some of the most common misunderstandings about two-factor authentication? The biggest misperception about it is it's not something that today you can just go out and find in your identity system. What you really have to do to make two-factor auth work today for in the solutions that are out there is you have to buy a server or procure a service that's unique to you. I think the second biggest myth out there is turning two-factor off on will end up actually securing your users and protecting you against their threats. And, you know, when you turn on a server unique to your bank, you are going to enroll the user's mobile phone in that server. So right next to their username and password authentication secret, the first factor authentication secret, you're going to write the second factor authentication secret. And as we've talked about, That's where the breaches are occurring today. I think probably the other big myth that we've seen is if you build it, they will come. The two-factor authentication solutions have been put out in the market, unless they're mandated or forced by a bank or by a website, aren't being used. Users aren't taking to them naturally. You know, the best practices that we're seeing in our customer base are where people are requiring one ID, two-factor auth for secure transactions like a wire transfer, like a brokerage confirm, or like adding a user to an account. Say I'm going to add a family member or someone to my account. Those are the types of transactions that it's easy for a user. Number one, a credit union or a financial institution will establish security credibility with their user base by doing it this way and and in certain high-risk transactions. Number two, they get real security value out of that users will use and that they will benefit from. Alex, you mentioned the users. What are some of the user implications of two-factor authentication? So two-factor auth has been very helpful in stemming phishing, stemming malware on devices, and providing some increased level of security for financial institutions and users alike. I think we've only really begun to scratch the surface around the user requirements of two-factor auth. If we think about the notion of rolling out two-factor auth unique to every website. This will start to sound a lot like the username and password problem. And if you, if you like the username and password problem, 
two-factor auth as it's being contemplated could be the SQL. Really, from a user's perspective, if I lose my phone or if I want to change a phone number, I really don't want to have to think about going to 10, 50, 100 websites and changing it, similar to what happens today if I have to update a credit card or my credit card is breached. Um, One ID has a nice solution that allows users to enroll one ID, and the, the bank simply puts the confirms into their various flows and picks the right use cases. An example of that would be, you know, buy 100 shares of General Electric at this price from this website, and I can approve that level of granularity on the first place that I go to that has one ID, and then all subsequent websites that ask for my two-factor off that's enabled with one ID, I don't have any enrollment friction. Let's talk about financial institutions specifically. How are they deploying two-factor to better conform to the FFIEC authentication guidance? Sure. So compliance is a great motivator. Unfortunately, we all live, we love being in regulated industries here in financial institutions. We help our customers meet and exceed those compliance directives. The FFIEC directive on enhanced authentication came out and then it was updated recently, in particular some elements. So the use of dual customer authorization through different access devices is a goal of the latest directive. Two-factor auth is a clear way of not only meeting that directive, but actually exceeding it by quite a bit and delivering real security. The guideline also calls for the use of -of out-of-band verification for transactions. I think it's probably self-evident how two-factor authentication will really help banks comply and really quite literally exceed that by a long shot. And they use this to do things like step-up authentication or uh, other things that are required. I think uh, there's a big movement coming that comes out of this guideline, too, to give users themselves controls on their account activities. And an example of that is one ID. So while a bank can certainly require, and our customers do require two-factor authentication for certain transactions, users themselves can turn on settings and say, whenever I'm on my you know mobile phone, I want to uh, require an enhanced authentication event, or I want to require that I'm going to tap in my PIN when I do anything over $100. Giving users this level of control is something that I think is directly germane to this compliance directive, and more importantly, it's just good business practice. It doesn't do anything to take away from anything the bank's doing, but it really reduces the overall risk of the system if you give users some of their own control. The, the final element on that is the, the there's a call in the compliance directive for advanced device identification techniques. One ID actually has a cryptographic key unique to each device, and so we uh, quite literally have the highest level of non-repudiation unique to a device that you can, and that's a fourth way that we really help financial institutions meet the FFIEC directives on compliance. Alex, you just produced a blog series on two-factor that really caught my eye. Tell us what the key message is about a successful roll-up in a customer environment, what works and what doesn't work with customers. Yeah, thank you. So we, we just uh, have produced a five-part series on two-factor auth on uh, the One ID website and the One ID blog here. We cover some of the same content we've gone through today, myths and realities about two-factor auth. And we review some of the common attacks in a little more detail and kind of how the attack landscape has evolved from 
really focusing on the consumer side to focusing on attacking the bank and credit union side more directly. We talk about the big secret of two-factor off, you know, shh, don't tell anybody, but that's that uh, users aren't really adopting it. There needs to be a whole series of best practices and users need to be brought along, just like many technology rollouts that are new. So I think this is big time in the industry and a big opportunity where we can do this right and we can really deliver security and better user experiences, take advantage of the 1 billion mobile phones, take advantage of the user's outrage with usernames and passwords, and their known proclivity and known attraction to mobile devices. Users are taking to them, they're using them. We have a role to play in the security industry and in the banking industry to help users connect and be more secure. And oh, by the way, in the process, we will help ensure ourselves that we're not the next data breach victim at our bank or credit union. Alex, I very much appreciate your time and insight today. Thank you very much. Thank you. The topic has been two-factor authentication. I've been speaking with Alex Dahl, CEO of OneID. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.